there's more than one way to tickle the ears of people. And it's not just in sort of watered down passive preaching. Sometimes it's preaching that steps on toes, but they're always the toes of the people outside of the congregation you're preaching to. Welcome to Christ and Culture, the podcast of the L. Russ Bush Center for Faith and Culture at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. Here we'll explore how the Christian faith intersects all avenues of today's culture through conversations with leading thinkers. Welcome to the conversation. Welcome to another episode of Christ and Culture. I'm Dr. Ken Keithley. And I'm Dr. Benjamin Quinn. Today in our Christ and Culture conversation, we're going to talk with Trevin Wax about multi-directional leadership. And after that, we'll have another edition of On My Bookshelf. Before that, though, let's begin with our segment, In the News. When we think about fall, it's hard not to think about sports. High school sports, college sports, major league baseball playoffs, and so on. Why do we love sports so much? Are there healthy and unhealthy ways to engage in sports and to think about sports? Dr. Keithley, I know you to be a massive St. Louis Cardinals fan, and I, I think that's great because I think all Jesus lovers should be Cardinals fans. But I, what is I, I it suspect about sports? you may like the Cardinals just a little <laughs> bit yourself. Indeed. Well, in almost every activity, there is a healthy and an unhealthy way to approach it. And sports is no different. The very word sports, the etymology of the word is amusement or recreation. So we have to remember this is what sports is, um, that it is a way in which we can relax, a way in which we can enjoy. It's one of the pleasures that God has given us in this world. So what are we to do with a pleasure? Well, God has given us all pleasures for us to enjoy within the framework of his kingdom. And so there is a time for rest. There is a time for recreation as long as it's done, as the Apostle Paul says, whether you eat or drink, whatsoever you do, you do all for the glory of God. And so as long as it is under the lordship of Christ and is treated as such, I think that sports can be a wonderful thing. To speak of sports is to speak of the first 20 years and almost all of the first 20 years of my upbringing. Um, I often joke with people, but it's very true that baseball, basketball, and football season was my liturgical calendar growing up. I understood where I was in the year based on right. what kind of gear I was carrying with me to, to either the game or to practice for that season. And I'll, I'll just very quickly mention both idolatry and opportunity that's woven into this right. thing we call sports and the chance and the opportunity to play. The idolatry, of course, are how things can begin to take over our lives where, for example, things like travel sports that are incredibly popular, incredibly demanding, and also as part of the demanding, they tend to find their way into our Sundays and into our evenings and into our family time and even taking us away from the meal table together. And that's, that's just an area, among many other things, that's just an area I would say, let's be careful about the idolatrous nature of these things. And yet, I want to speak much more positively to the opportunity. I coach my boys' baseball teams and love to do that. Um, baseball is, I guess, among the three big baseball, basketball, football. That's probably my, my favorite sport. And one of the things I love to tell these young boys, these are 9- to 12-year-old boys, at the beginning, during, at the end of the season, guys, baseball is a game but it's a metaphor for life. You learn how to be a good teammate. You learn how to overcome adversity. You learn how to step in the box when you're scared to step in the box because the kid's not only throwing hard, he doesn't throw a lot of strikes. You don't know where the ball's going. Uh, but you learn a lot about who you are, but you also learn a lot about how to win and how to lose. You learn a lot about how to hopefully glorify God in the process, but also not try to bring too much unnecessary attention to yourself. 
sports give us a great opportunity to learn those kind of life lessons in ways that we don't always learn otherwise. If you're a pastor, a leader, a parent, a coach of all types in any kind of leadership, you're probably accustomed to dealing with the threats and challenges from one direction. One direction not being the uh, well-known music group, Dr. Keithley, but we're actually talking about <laughs> angles of leadership here. But can that one-sided focus leave you vulnerable to threats from the other direction as well? Well, Trevin Wax says the answer is yes. And in his new book, he offers tips and wisdom on how to defend oneself from challenges on all fronts. The book is titled, The Multidirectional Leader, Responding Wisely to Challenges from Every Side. Trevin Wax got his PhD from Southeastern Seminary, and we're glad to claim him as one of our own. He's vice president of research and resource development at the North American Mission Board, and he's a visiting professor at Wheaton College. Trevin, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Excited to be here. Let's define some terms. What is multidirectional leadership, and why do pastors and leaders need it? One of the best ways to get at what I'm, I'm trying to communicate with multidirectional leadership is to point to analogies and illustrations. And I use the illustration of a, of a shepherd who is taking care of sheep, which of course is the analogy that we get from the New Testament about one of the aspects of being in pastoral or shepherding ministry. And I, I use an example in order to contrast the shepherd who is used to and is accustomed to, is ready for threats that are coming toward the the flock from one side of the field. Uh, perhaps they know that's the area where wolves gather, or that's the area that sheep are, are more likely to, to wander or stray. And so they're constantly on guard toward threats that might come from that direction. That's the one directional leader. A multi-directional leader is one who recognizes that threats can creep up on the flock from multiple sides of the field. Uh, just because you may be aware, you may be accustomed to, or even really good at fending off threats from that particular direction you've grown used to, doesn't mean that your flock isn't still vulnerable to threats that could come from a different side, from a different direction. And so what I'm trying to get at in the book is this, this understanding that there's, there's more than one way for our people to succumb to, to different kinds of temptation, to, um, to be drawn away. You know, to use political terms, it's not just the dangers of the left or the dangers of the far right. There are dangers that are present and that are coming at us from multiple sides. And a good shepherd is going to want to be aware of those challenges and ready to fend off those challenges, no matter what direction they come from. Trevin, you talk about this idea of faithful versatility. So that's, that's a, a phrase that perhaps might just kind of rush right past this. So let's, let's sit there for a second. Uh, it makes sense to all of us that we need to be versatile as leaders, but you talk about faithful versatility. Can you give us some examples of people who have done that well, as well as people who haven't done that well? Yep. So the, I guess the, the preeminent example that I use in the book as just sort of my go-to example for multidirectional leadership is John Stott. I believe probably more than anyone in the last 100 years that John Stott models this, this multidirectional mindset um, in which you see this all throughout his works. He's versatile in the sense that he is 
in one setting, he may have a word for one group of people warning about a danger he thinks faces them specifically. And then in another setting with a different group, he may sound what sounds like an opposing alarm. It's not that the alarms are actually contradictory. It's that in knowing his audience in the context and the particular vulnerabilities that they have and the the ways that they would be susceptible to error, he's issuing warnings that that generally don't come from the same person. We we are used to people who are less versatile as leaders, people who are known for always opposing threats to this, you know, from this side of the field or always opposing threats from that side of the field. But Stott is an example of someone who, depending on the context and the and the audience, uh, could uh, did that very well. I, I don't think Stott got everything right in all the particulars of his own theological perspective or uh, in all of the, the ethical positions that he took. The, it's not to say that Stott was uh, uh, inerrant in, in this way, but that mindset is certainly on display with his life. And, and there's someone else I mentioned in the book specifically speaking about faithful versatility um, is not so much in the Christian world, but using an example from Winston Churchill, who says sometimes in order to maintain the ballast of a ship, you're going to be putting all of your weight to one side or the other, not because you're vacillating, but because you're actually with a consistent purpose, recognizing that sometimes your weight needs to go over here and other times it needs to go over on this side in order to maintain your balance Mm -hmm. to, to move forward. So that image of versatility, of of uh, um, being able to shift your weight as necessary based on the challenges that you're facing in the moment. That's the kind of versatility and leadership I think we need more of in the in the Christian church today. What you're saying resonates with me, but I, I also read a quote from Margaret Thatcher in which she's quoted as saying, one of the tough things about me in the middle of the road is that one can get hit from both sides. And so when someone hears you talking about being balanced, help us to distinguish being balanced from simply being middle of the road or being moderate. You seem to be saying something more than that. I push back in the book against the idea of balance as the the primary feature, even though some people that I love reading who I think are good models of balance in this way, Tim Keller, John Stott and others, uh, use that terminology of balance. I don't find the word balance to be as helpful of a word. The multidirectional concept is a, a little edgier in the right way. And what I mean by that is there are times when you will appear very imbalanced if you're fighting off a true threat to the flock that is is prominent and prevalent in your congregation. That's one reason. Another reason is I don't think that pursuing balance, trying to find this perfect balance is actually possible for anyone. I, I think based Nor on- Nor is it that, exactly desirable. Yeah, I, I just, first of all, I don't know that it's desirable. And secondly, I don't know that even if you desired it, you would achieve it because we all come to the, the task of, of shepherding, of leading with uh, different experiences, with different biases, with different sort of just- things that we bring to the table that are going to incline us in different directions. And so one of the things that I think is important is for us to, to lean on other shepherds who may be, um, who may be more skilled than we are at discovering or seeing threats from different directions of the field than we are accustomed to, not because we don't, we can't fight off those threats ourselves, but because no one can be perfectly attuned to every danger that's out there, to every alarm that needs to be rung, a bell that needs to be rung or anything like that. We, we've got to rely on each other in order that, that ministers together will achieve some sort of balance. Not that one person on their own can have this sort of perfect combination of, of wisdom. 
To be clear, this is not just finding, oh, here are two extremes, let's take the middle road. This is about actually using the, the example of Charles Simeon, G.K. Chesterton and others. This is actually about holding tightly to two extremes and not letting either one of them dilute the other. If you see two very strong truths that are mentioned in scripture, the answer is not to try to dilute them or to find the middle path between them, but to hold up both of them as strongly as possible and to emphasize the one or the other based on the moment that you're in. That's the way of wisdom. I think we do that already naturally in a lot of, a lot of our conversations, but I'm wanting to bring that to the surface to say, forget the mushy middle moderate position. That's not what this is about. This is being willing to do what Margaret Thatcher said, take arrows from people on both sides, but not because you're trying to be in the middle, but because you know, once you issue warnings, you're going to step on toes. That's a great illustration that you just gave. Also the one of Winston Churchill, because as you point out, he did not look balanced in the 1930s when he was one of the few voices that recognized the dangers of fascism and Hitler's Germany. And yet, I think everyone would realize he's somebody who handled those things wisely and well. I also appreciated how you talked about collective wisdom, because when one hears about being able to handle challenges from multiple ways, one almost hears, are you asking me to be almost omnicompetent, where I know and understand the challenges that come from this field of ethics, that field of morality, this field of politics, this field of, of economics? Who is sufficient for these things? So you're not calling for someone to be omnicompetent. No, not at all. That's one of the reasons why we, we need each other. And honestly, it's one of the reasons why we need critics. We need people who will, if they think we're perhaps going in the wrong direction, they would call us out. Um, one of the, the things that I mentioned about, obviously, I'm, I'm pushing for the multi-directional leader, not the one-directional leader. That's the, the foil, the contrast. But even one-directional leaders can help a multi-directional leader be better in that just because someone is issuing or sounding an alarm from one side and they seem to be oblivious to other dangers that could be on their other side of the field doesn't mean necessarily that alarm is wrong. So one of the things I think that a multi-directional leader can do is to, to recognize when there are those one-directional guys out there to, to listen to those alarms and to, to take them into account to, to consider whether or not they're overblown or whether they're actually onto something, but to take that into consideration as they seek to lead faithfully. The whole point of it is not that one person can do it all, but that grounded in the scriptures, in the camaraderie that we feel with other believers in Christ who are called to lead God's people, that we can we can be wise, wise in the decisions we make and in the and, and in the warnings that we give. Trevin, imagine that I'm preparing to step into a new leadership role of, of some sort. I love your imagery of shepherd, but you're using that more broadly than just for pastors. But let's say I'm getting ready to take on a new leadership role, perhaps at my church, but perhaps in an institution or perhaps at a place of business. And I want to take your advice of being multi-directional instead of one directional. What are some of the steps that you advise me on? Here are the things that you need to look for right now to begin to implement this kind of leadership. It's not so much that there's a, a checklist of things to do as much as there are some activities you can participate in to help develop that sensibility. So it's really more of a sensibility than it is a one, two, three, here's how you become a multidirectional leader. Um, I mean, the first one, the first and foremost, of course, and we're Bible people here, is to immerse yourself in the scriptures and to make sure you're not screening out elements of the scriptures that don't sit well with you, that you're not just focused on the parts of scripture or the warnings of scripture that you already heed, but that you're 
you're, you're really taking the scripture in, in, in its fullness as much as possible. So I think beginning with the, the scriptures, letting the scriptures blow up our systems and our, our prejudices and the, the inclinations that we might have towards certain texts over other texts or certain uh, aspects of things that should draw our attention versus other things. I think scripture is key. Now, we've got to be grounded in the scriptures. Another thing I would say, if you're stepping into a leadership role, is to know your people really well, the people that you are called to serve. One of the big challenges that I see, and honestly, I think this is a source and an area of anxiety for a lot of pastors and leaders today, is because social media has so connected us, um, and we're online a lot, especially in this year, you know, coming out of this pandemic, a lot of work has been done online, a lot of our lives have moved into, you know, Zoom conversations and other things rather than flesh and blood relationships. It is very easy to nationalize every problem, to nationalize every conversation, to assume that because you see online this problem that is happening over here in this pocket of the evangelical world or this problem over here in this particular church, that this must be the dire threat that is about to be a problem for you and your people and your leadership. And one of the ways that we easily go wrong is when we fail to know our people well and instead are spending so much time knowing the problems that are big and, and bold out there. Now, the nice thing about social media and about these nationalized conversations is it can help you understand some, some trends, some things that may happen on the other side, uh, some things that may wind up affecting your church at some point. But the most important thing you can do is to know your people really well and to, to ask yourself the question, if they were to stray, in what direction would they go? Because that's where you have to be most involved. To develop that multi-directional sensibility, you've got to know the scriptures, you've got to know your people well, and you've got to know the cultural currents that are, are having an impact in your own congregation. It makes me think about, we've seen a lot of these slogans the last few years, eat local, buy local. Perhaps we need a shepherd local, lead local kind of mentality. Not that you're not informed with what's going on more broadly but that you don't know those things better than you know your own local leadership context. Yeah, here's why that's so important. One of the temptations of a leader these days is to desire popularity with your people. Mm. And one of the ways you can achieve that pretty successfully is if you preach really hard or, or lead in a particular direction in a way that you know you're going to be leading the already convinced, you're going to get cheers from the, from the choir that's already with you. And there's more than one way to tickle the ears of people. And it's not just in sort of watered down passive preaching. Sometimes it's preaching that steps on toes, but they're always the toes of the people outside of the congregation you're preaching to. And one of the things that you can do is you can find online examples of the dangers that your people already recognize. And you can constantly warn them about the dangers they're really not prone to because they see and agree with you on those dangers. And you can wind up focusing more time on those problems in order to avoid having to focus on the actual problems that your congregation would face. Yeah, that's good. The book, actually, it's a booklet because uh, it's only about 90 pages long. And I say that as a compliment because being able to, to say effectively in a brief way, it's a wonderful gift. And so in your, your book, you address a whole series of hot button topics. In just a brief amount of time, you talk about complementarianism, you talk about racial injustice, you talk about biblical interpretation, and you do it all from a perspective of multidirectional leadership. Uh, could you walk us through one of those to model what multidirectional leadership looks like in practice? 
I don't treat these subjects at, at any real length or depth. I, I use them as examples just because of the hot button issues that they are currently. But, you know, to take, for example, the debate over complementarianism or how best to apply complementarianism. You know, there's a lot of debates going on in different denominations, including the, the Southern Baptist Convention, as to what does complementarianism look like when it's fleshed out. And what you'll find is, uh, I think one of the things that a lot of people have been woken up to in recent years is that there can be slippery slopes on more than one side. A lot of Southern Baptists, just because of our history in, in the past and the conservative resurgence, are well aware of the slippery slopes that lead to a disregard for what we believe to be scriptural teaching when it comes to the qualifications for an elder or pastor. A lot of Southern Baptists have gone down that road before, and there's been a lot of protracted battles and debates over that. I think there's a lot of ways in which Southern Baptists have been really attuned to that slippery slope that would lead in that direction toward an egalitarian position rather than a complementarian position. At the same time, though, there are a number of leaders who have recently said, you know, we don't think that the big problem in the SBC or in our churches is a slippery slope to egalitarianism. We actually believe that we've perhaps overcompensated or we haven't actually been concerned about how women are flourishing in our congregations. We're so afraid of, of women preachers or pastors that we haven't had a corresponding fear that maybe women are not doing all that they are called to do and be in our congregations or to provide pathways for women to exercise the kind of leadership that scripture would call them to. So those are two different conversations that are happening now. And sometimes these groups are talking past one another. One of the ways that we would think through that with multidirectional leadership would be to say, look at your own congregation, look at your own people and ask yourself the question, which of those, if there are two slippery slopes, which is going to be the more prominent one? Now, I would say just based on the catechetical power of our culture these days, the stronger current for most people growing up in our churches is going to be the current pulling us toward not only an egalitarian position from an evangelical perspective, but to the diminishment of gender distinctions whatsoever. I mean, we see that happening right now in, in, in the culture and government, uh, even being legislated to some extent. The whole conversation about differences between biological sex and gender identity and whatnot. Even questions and conversations about marriage in general and what it is. We can no longer assume that we are going to be living in a culture in which we can simply say what the Bible says about marriage without explaining to our children and our children's children the, the reasons why we believe what we believe about marriage. Things that were once assumed are now questioned. So I believe that the stronger current nationally, so to speak, is always going to be pulling us in this direction. However, there are some congregations, some organizations, some leaders who, in, in reaction to that, could potentially lead to the diminishment or to the stifling of women and their gifts in our congregations as a way of guarding against that, that I do think we've got to be super careful about. And so I'm not necessarily trying to solve the, the problem or answer the, the conundrum or settle the debates over how best to apply a complementarian convictions in the church. In the book, I don't have the room to do that, or nor was that the intent. It was simply to say, this is an example where multidirectional leadership would serve us well to where we could actually hear alarms from different perspectives. And instead of reacting against them in polarizing ways, we could, we could heed different warnings that need to be heeded from different sides of the field and hopefully be able to maintain a biblical posture and a, a faithful complementarian convictions in our churches. Trevin, if you had to leave our listeners with just sort of one thought with respect to multidirectional leadership and really what you were trying to accomplish in the book, what would that final thought be? 
my word to pastors, I feel like I've been saying this the last few years, it, uh, especially because there's just so much angst out there about the, the challenges we're facing. It's um, pastor your church, not the world. No one's called to be a world pastor. God calls particular people to particular people. And um, one way to to take a little bit of the edge off the stress off of trying to figure out how to navigate, you know, these rough waters that we've been in is to to recognize at the end of the day, you don't give an account for everyone who might come across a Facebook post of yours or that, you know, you might have just tangential conversations with, you know, we give an account for the people that have been entrusted to our care. Yeah. And so knowing them, knowing their tendencies, knowing their vulnerabilities, knowing their uh, where they need encouragement, knowing where they need exhortation, at times rebuke and correction, this is what scriptural pastoral ministry is all about. And so I would just urge people in this time, and even if you're not a pastor and you're listening, let's say you're a, a Sunday school teacher or you're you know leading a life group or you're doing, you know, you're you're involved in lay leadership in your church, know the people that God has brought into your path and seek to serve them really well. You don't have to be all things to all people. You've got to be something to them. I think that's a word that we need in a in an age where everything is totalizing and nationalizing and, and we catastrophize so many things online. We One of the ways is to, to get back to actual flesh and blood people and ministries with the people that we've been called to. We've been talking with Dr. Trevin Wax about his new book, The Multidirectional Leader. Trevin, thank you for being with us. Glad to join you guys. Southeastern Seminary's mission is to serve the church and fulfill the Great Commission. Almost all of Southeastern's degrees are available fully online, so whether you're in your living room or the classroom, you can receive high-quality theological education. Get equipped wherever you are today for wherever you're called in the future by visiting sebts.edu. Now it's time for On My Bookshelf. This is a segment in which professors at Southeastern Seminary give you a peek into what they are reading. Today, we're honored to have Dr. Kristen Kellen, Assistant Professor of Biblical Counseling here at Southeastern. Dr. Kellen, what's on your bookshelf? Recently, I have been really interested in the topic of neuroscience and the brain and how the brain relates to mental illness, emotions, that sort of thing. Uh, and I came across this book called Switch on Your Brain by Dr. Caroline Leaf. Uh, and as I started reading it, I wasn't necessarily anticipating that she was a believer and would be advocating for um, for Christianity and, and biblical beliefs, uh, but turns out she was. And so it was a fascinating read on how the Lord designed our brains uh, to uh, incorporate our emotions with our thoughts and our behaviors. As a counselor, naturally, I'm interested in these things. Uh, but she talks through uh, how we can align our thoughts in such a way that it creates healthy pathways in our brain. And then that in turn helps our brains to function better. Uh, now, let me be clear. I, I don't know that I would agree with everything she says in this book, uh, but it's an interesting read uh, in trying to understand the complexity of the brain and the relationship between our non-physical mind and the physical organ of the brain and how those relate to our uh, beliefs and behaviors and our emotions. Thank you for sharing that with us. And thank you all for listening. If you enjoyed the episode, 
do us a huge favor. Go and rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or share the episode with a friend. We look forward to seeing you next time.